Today in the Attorney Career Advice Podcast with Harrison Barnes. And then there were a lot of plaintiffs, law firms, very firm that this kind of behavior is unacceptable. A million dollar plus book of business. And imagine one let me know, have known a client five years ago. All right, so we're going to get started. This to me, I think is one of the most important webinars that anyone could attend. And so I'm pretty, I've never actually talked about this topic in public. And so I'm excited to talk about it today. And this particular webinar, I think is good for anyone that is in a major law firm and is wondering if that's the best place for them. It's good for people that it might be in smaller law firms and are, grab something here, are wondering if they should be in larger law firms and feeling badly about themselves for doing. And it's really going to turn everything on its head in terms of what you may understand about what it's like to work in a law firm and where you should be working. And this, these observations I make today are, are really coming about from 25 years of seeing the attorneys that are the most successful, the ones that are the happiest, watching what people, what happens to people that are different types of practice settings. And when I see different practice settings, people that have their own law firms or people that do work in large law firms and that sort of thing, and kind of what is the position that makes the people the happiest? And it's really going to surprise you. And as, as I was working on this, it really surprised me because I realized quite a bit about what's going to make you the happiest practicing law. And, and honestly, this webinar, if you understand everything I'm talking about today and pay attention, it's going to make a huge difference in your career, I think, because you're going to be able to go and, and work in a way that you will potentially uh, make a lot more money, where you'll have a lot more freedom, where you'll have a lot more security in your career, so many different things that a lot of times people are missing in different practice settings. And this is really how to change your, the direction of your career and even what you may aspire to. I know a lot of people aspire to be in the major law firms, which is good for some people, but this will teach you a little bit about the people that I think are the most successful practicing law and the happiest. When people are searching uh, for a position in a law firm, there's really two major options and the types of firms you can work for. You can work for law firms or just working for individuals, which means just regular people or people with money, but regular people, or you can work uh, for law firms that work primarily for companies. And so those are really the two spectrums of law firms. You have law firms that represent companies, and then you have law firms that represent individuals. The law firms uh, that represent companies uh, pay a lot more money because companies have more money to spend than individuals. And so people that are looking for high salaries and want to make a lot of money or aspire to be a partner in a large law firm will go to work in law firms that serve companies because companies have more money to spend. And then these law firms often have a lot more work because clients will pay for it. The salaries are higher and because companies expect their high billing rates to be matched with attorneys that have certain backgrounds, meaning class rank, the law school they attended and similar qualifications. These are actually much more important for in the law firm serving companies than those serving individuals. In fact, law firms serving individuals, the, most of the individuals don't even know what all different types of law school laws are. And they just know that the person's an attorney. So these are some distinctions in law firms I want to just talk about real briefly. One of the things too, I just wanted to mention that this is a live webinar. You can, when, when I'm done with everything, you can ask as many questions as you want, but we'll start off with these distinctions on law firms. So when I was starting my career, I was working for a federal district judge in a post office, essentially above in a former lumber town that had been going 
basically slowly going out of business with things shutting down since the early 1900s. And we had to remember a class action that was filed by the former employees of banana pickers somewhere in Central America against Dow Chemical, which is, was located in Midland, Michigan, not too far from the courthouse. And, and there were a lot of law firms involved. There were probably at least 25 law firms. There were defense law firms, and then there were a lot of plaintiffs law firms. And I remember that we were all in the, the library at the judge, and there was no room to even sit down. And everyone was in there. And then one of the local council at a small firm in around the neighborhood or Bay City announced in front of the judge and another attorney that his co-counsel was from the law firm Sherman Sterling in New York, which is a very prestigious firm. And this attorney was looked like he was a first or second year associate. He was unintimidating, bookish. He didn't have any social skills that I could imagine. And he's not someone that I imagine would have lasted long in Sherman and Sterling. But even with the exception of the judge, you could have cared less that the people in the room seemed to look at this young first-year associate in awe, all at unison at the same time. And then they kept looking back at him as if he was some sort of credible attorney uh, because he was at this law firm. And so I, I thought to myself, this is crazy. Like I just, I'd worked in a New York law firm over the summer and I didn't understand at a prestigious firm why people would be so impressed with someone there was an associate and these were all personal injury attorneys and defense attorneys from small firms. And as soon as I became a recruiter, I saw the same thing. We created itself on a daily basis. Law attorneys at prestigious law firms that were serving individuals, if you called them up uh, and you wanted to talk to them about working at a, a larger law firm, most would always jump at the, the chance. Even partners that were 20 years on in a mid-sized law firm, if the opportunity to work at a much more prestigious law firm came around, they would also jump at the chance. And it seemed like everywhere I, I was turning, like everyone was in awe of these attorneys of big law firms and wanted to work there and just, or if they were there wanting to stay there. And there's lots of different uh, brands in terms of the law firms that serve companies. There's huge differences. They're the very, very most prestigious firms. And then there's lesser prestigious firms. And then there's mid-sized firms or regional firms. And But the thing is that what I've noticed in, throughout my career is attorneys at less prestigious firms that are working for companies all, almost always seem to want to move up to more prestigious firms. And then the attorneys at the less more prestigious firms never wanted to move down. And the firms serving companies, rather than go to a less prestigious firm, these attorneys often want to go in-house or they would prefer to leave the practice of law completely if they couldn't stay employed there, preferably in the largest city. So that everyone just, it's crazy. And I, I don't like the way this works. I'm going to tell you um, in a few minutes why it's wrong. There's a presumption among law students and law firms representing, that law firms representing companies that it's much more prestigious and these are the best opportunities and name, namely because of the prestige of the firms, the salaries and more. And there's also a, a presumption in all of the law firm, attorneys in law firms representing companies that their law firms are better places to work. And the attorneys that don't work there feel inferior and they feel like there's some, especially ones representing individuals, that they're somehow missing out on something and inferior to the attorneys working in large law firms. And Honestly, none of this is correct, and it makes no sense when you really get down to it and compare the two types of law firms. Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do, and one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition 
means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, you're not going to find them on major job boards because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only list jobs that companies pay to post, we include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. So over the past several years, and even recently as the past two or three years, I've come to a di different realization about how attorneys at different levels should think about representing individuals or smaller law firms. And I've realized this because I, what, from what I've seen in terms of the result, the happiness and everything that attorneys are experiencing at each, I, I just think it doesn't make any sense. Until recently, our firm, uh, BCG, and when I say recently in the past three to five years, the only candidates at my company or any company that was in the recruiting field would want to represent were attorneys who had gone to the best law schools and were working in the best firms and preferably in the largest cities. And, and, and a lot of recruiters, and you can see this when you go to the bios of different recruiting firms, they have uh, people working there, uh, the recruiters that are basically there because they want to remain connected to the big firms and, and big firm attorneys through their roles as advisors and helping people ostensibly uh, move around to these big firms. And, and in our company, if anybody went against this orthodoxy and other companies in the field, candidates that were not from the best firms were just rejected. Their calls weren't returned as quickly as they should have been. Their resumes weren't paid attention to. And even in all recruiting firms, statements and, and the idea was that attorneys that weren't from these best firms were somehow second-class citizens, and at least in the legal profession. And then a lot of the more prestigious law firms are also this opinion. So if you sometimes, if we represent an attorney that wasn't from the most prestigious law schools and coming from the best firms without the best grades, the law firms would get angry. They would threaten to never do business with us again if we continued having faith in less qualified attorneys. And, and then just the message was very firm that this kind of behavior is unacceptable. So I'd like everyone today to, I want to challenge some of these assumptions and thinking about what success means in the legal field. So there's reasons that law firms behave this way. It's because they represent companies. Those companies have general counsels. They charge high billing rates. They want to look like they have the best attorneys there, at least on paper. But this basically eliminates from recruiting firms what they typically think of, and we don't do this anymore, but it eliminates 98% of the attorneys in the market, meaning there's only about 2% of the attorneys practicing law that have the qualifications at any one time to get in these major law firms. And the same firms would get mad at us, even if, and this is what I want you to understand, even if we're representing someone from a top law firm, if even the great law schools, once the attorney gets more than six or seven years of experience, the law firm also would get mad at us. Meaning there's this like sweet spot of one to six years, but once the person gets beyond that, the large law firms no longer want anything to do with the people, not all of them. And there's a lot of exceptions to this. And so I'm, it, even most firms that don't observe this, but they expect attorneys, once they get seven or eight years of experience, to start having substantial portable business. 
And of course, these attorneys don't have a substantial part of a business. They've been building crazy hours for the largest clients all the time. And so they don't have time to develop business. So I just want you to understand what this means. This means that even if you end up going to a major law firm, after six or seven years, the game is, excuse me, over. Unless you have a lot of business, you can go in-house, but you may want to go to a smaller law firm sometimes, but it's very sad. I remember I talked to attorneys that are senior like this and telling them that there's no opportunities or no one's biting and they're, they're ready. They break down and cry. People at major law firms, this is what happens uh, when people try to play this game. And in the idea is when you think about, can they get business as senior associates? No major company is ever going to get business to an associate. Why would you? If you're a giant company that these law firms need, why would you give business to a, to an associate? So what happens is after six or seven years, sometimes longer, sometimes they can make you an associate indefinitely, which I've seen some firms do that, but not many. Once you outlive your use at most large law firms, you're pretty much pushed aside and for younger models or models of business are, are brought in to take your place. Now, I'm not criticizing large law firms for this. This is the way the model's always been. It's worked this way for generations of attorneys. So this is not an attack on large law firms. It's just the business model. It was initially developed by Corvassarine and Moore in the 1950s and other large law firms that started, basically Cravath started looking at the way that companies like IBM were structuring their business and, and started uh, structuring their firm uh, in a way to, to be like that. Cravath became very successful and then other large law firms essentially started uh, copying that business model. And there's no reason that law firms are ever going to stop this. They, this is just how they work, especially the large law firms. So what I'm going to talk about today is some experiences that I've had watching attorneys in different practice settings, how successful they are, how happy they are, how self-confident they are, how able they are to keep their career on track longer than six or seven years. Then the other thing too, is you have to understand is the hours I'm not even talking about the quality of life issues, which are the hours, the stress, the all these sorts of things that happen to a lot of people in large law firms. I'll, I'll mention a few of those today, but I just will talk about some of these other practice areas first. So these are some personal experiences I have with divorce attorneys and observations on their success. Now, I want to be tell you something that's very interesting to me. I have a lot of divorce attorneys at BCG. They get more interviews than attorneys that are trying to move around between large law firms. Now, not all of them do, but this is a very in-demand practice area at the moment. Several years ago, long time ago, I was going through a divorce and I noticed that my wife's attorney had gone to Stanford Law School before becoming a divorce and before becoming a divorce attorney, it spent several years as an associate at Quinn Emanuel, which is a credible, very good litigation firm. And when I asked why he'd become a divorce attorney, meaning he left Quinn Emanuel, where he was probably making an equivalent of four or $500,000 a year or something as an associate, a senior associate. And he told me that becoming a divorce attorney was a no-brainer. This is, I was just talking to him like at a break in a deposition. And he said that if he'd tried to leave this law firm where he was working credible, crazy hours and attract large companies as clients, he never would have gotten anywhere. And here he was, this is several years ago, he was billing 600 hours an hour in, in, to his clients. He had more business within weeks than he could do practicing divorce law. 
And because he used his qualification, I don't know how he did it, but think about it. Most attorneys do not do this stuff, but he did. He just decided that this was a better place to make more money and use his skills and have more freedom and basically, and he walked away and suddenly had a more successful business making more money than he would have had he stayed in a large law firm. And then I, years ago, was looking for a divorce attorney. So I went to a brief period, this law firm, Wasserman Comden, I think that's the name of it. And they had such, were making so much money and had such high bars for becoming a client, I couldn't believe it. Somehow they let me in the door because they forgot to ask me if I had something like, and again, I'm not quoting this number exactly, but it was something along these lines, $25 million in liquid assets to pay them and fight about with my soon-to-be ex-wife. Think about that. The opening for an individual was, maybe it wasn't 25, maybe it was 15, but it was, some, but it was a very high number and they needed that. And then after representing me for about a week or so and realizing that I had didn't have those kind of liquid assets, they told me the billing tens of thousands of dollars a week was not something I was cut out for. Meaning once this case started, it was going to be very expensive. And again, I wasn't entitled to this type of representation because at the time I didn't have anywhere near those assets or money to spend. And so in contrast, none of the attorneys, unlike my wife's uh, attorneys at the time, had gone to grade schools or anything of the sort. They were, most of them were students from local law schools around LA, and they seemed to be doing quite well representing people. And then Bruce Wasser, when he realized my financial condition, told me that I needed a Ford and not a Ferrari for my divorce, led me out of the office, down the hall to an attorney whose name was the law office of, and that was the man's name, and essentially dropped me off his door and told me what I needed. And that attorney was billing $600 an hour. I mean, but these attorney, my wife's attorneys, what I noticed is they had an enthusiasm about them in confidence that I didn't see in most large law firm attorneys. When Bruce Wasser introduced me to um, my new attorney, who also didn't have anything that special in his pedigree, he gave me a tour of his high-rent office and showed off some his art collection by these well-known artists. That's not something that a large law firm attorney would be able to do with their office. They have to tone it down. And unlike partners in these large law firms, both of these men uh, were sunbathed and seemed happy and in control of their careers and not at risk of all this falling apart not someone that has to answer to people and people are making decisions about the future of their career. They seem very happy. And instead of a few large clients that they could lose in any moment, they had count countless clients. One year, one, a couple of years ago, actually not that long ago, like, like four years ago, I was talking to a, an attorney at a big firm in the New York office of a, the LA office of a New York law firm. And he had a huge book of business. It was like 30. 40 million or something. And I realized talking to him that he only had one client. So his whole job could be gone if he lost that client. These divorce attorneys had tons of clients. If they lost one, it didn't matter. If they lost three, it didn't matter. And so their businesses were diversified and they could afford to be happy. They weren't reporting to anyone and they're not at risk of losing their jobs at a moment's notice. And by the way, this happens. Like, Partners, even if you become extremely successful in a large law firm, you can lose your job very quickly. And it happens because I, I see it all the time. So here's some of the instability and risk of large law firms. 
And first of all, let's talk about job security. A few years ago, I left a voicemail message for an associate whose name went to Galactic Dungeon, and it was for a partner in a large New York law firm. And by and he wanted help with the search. And, he, and again, I couldn't understand uh, why this particular run. And again, this guy's business was all from one client. So it's the story I told earlier and stuff was slowing down. He was panicking, even though he had this huge book of business where I'm sure he was making three to five million, probably four to six million dollars a year. He was very panicked because his work was slowing down. And even the law firms he was interviewing with were asking the right questions. And he was very nervous and worried. By the way, it's very difficult to get a $25 million plus book of business. And imagine being very worried about that when you get to that, because right? it's one one client. And he went to a firm where they could afford, if he needed to, and if he lost his business, to give him work as a service partner. He got a very good salary, but it was all contingent on him keeping that one client. And this pattern of complete insecurity in large law firms is there. Even if you, again, I want you to understand, even if you reach the pinnacle of success, in a major law firm, you can lose your job very quickly. I knew one partner that was had a great book of business, not anywhere near this other attorneys, but he was fired because one day he wore a, on a casual day, he wore a pair of jeans with a rip where part of his underwear was visible on his calf. And a woman associate complained and then rather risked the optics of a lawsuit. Now, I'm not going to say he was right wearing these jeans, but he wasn't even aware of the rip. And a woman associate complained, and rather than risking the optics of the lawsuit, they just fired him and gave him a few minutes to get out of the office with no job. This is, this, I, this kind of stuff happens. Do you want to grow your legal career? A lateral move might be the right choice to get you on track for your career goals. Working with a legal placement firm like BCG Attorney Search can open doors for you and help you live the life you dream of. If you're looking for a new legal job, send us your resume so we can help. Visit www.bcgsearch.com and click on Submit Resume to be paired with one of our legal placement professionals who will work tirelessly on your behalf to get you your dream legal job. Submit your resume to www.bcgsearch.com to get started today. And then again, I know another attorney that was the head of a major law firm's corporate practice group. When I say major, one of the, an Amlaw 100 law firm. And he was fired because he was supposed to be helping an attorney bring in a client and the, the apparently smelled after getting off an international long distance flight to travel to the office and meet the potential client. And when the other client, when he didn't, when the other attorney didn't get the work, this attorney complained. And for that reason, and I guess his behavior wasn't perfect in this client meeting, he lost his job. Another partner I know in a major Chicago firm had a $40 million book of business, and he was fired because it came out that he had a, an affair with a, a staff member, meaning I don't want to give this guy away, but it was like someone that was beneath him in terms of the prestige of the firm. So think secretary, paralegal, something like that, librarian, I don't know. But he had an affair with someone in the firm that was beneath him when he was an associate. And they were basically like, you had power over this person and therefore you did things correctly. And this particular person left and because of this was blackballed, literally blackballed in the legal community in the city and ended up having to go in house with a some sort of financial firm. Actually, he wasn't even in house. He was working on, he went and 
started working in some finance company or something, helping them there. But an attorney loses too much business and they're let go. If attorneys lose too much business, they're often let go and they will have their compensation drastically reduced. And often the equity they have will be taken away and they'll be given deadlines to, to find a new position or leave with nothing. Some law firms even require their partners to retire at the age of 65, even though it's now the norm for people to be president and responsible for the entire United States in their 80s. So I, these are other people I talk to. I talk to partners that are 64 or 63 and going to have to leave when they're 65. So there's a limit for many large law firms. No, not, not all, and probably not even a significant percentage, but some law firms there is. And when these people, different types of people that lose business, that have complaints brought against them, that are fired, and then these law firms are, these people are considered toxic and uh, their careers often come to an end. Now, I'm not saying that large law firms are bad, uh, but what I am trying to do is frame the fact that you have to, and anytime you're working for a large law firm, it's like working for a large corporation. These attorneys all need to toe a party line and do whatever they can uh, to please their peers and not get in trouble. And this is the way it is in corporate America too. Like I know I have a friend that was a high ranking person in the NFL and he, some football players wanted to go out to a strip club and he drove them and didn't go in. And when that came out, he got fired. It's just, it's this kind of stuff, can, you have to be very careful. And if a partner or an associate, regardless if you're an associate, you're basically on life support a lot of times with these firms. And if you get too senior, you'll lose your job. If, if the firm gets slow, you'll lose your job. And so everyone in the, these large law firms, a, a lot of them are very scared and you, you have to blend in. And But again, there's a lot of great things about large law firms and I'm not by any means suggesting that there's not, but what I want everyone to understand is that they often offer a lot less security. They will force you out at a moment's notice they will, they make it much harder to get clients because you need to bring in large clients who will spend the money. And it's very hard to get clients when you're an associate. They will make it very difficult for you to get an established client base. One of the reasons is they do conflict checks. They, and people get, they will give credit to someone that may know, have known a client five years ago, even if you bring them in. And so they, they're very difficult places to work. And uh, so I, again, I'm not, uh, criticizing large law firms. There are some very good things about them. For example, they you can make a lot more money as an associate. You also can uh, make a lot of money as a partner, but you also get the opportunity to represent large companies that have large budgets that uh, can bring in huge fees. You can get very good support. There's a prestige level to them that will enable you to go into in-house uh, positions that are very difficult to get. There, there's a million good things about large law firms. But it's also very difficult for people to understand why there are not and how going another route with your practice could actually make you much better off in the long run. That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you are an attorney looking for a change, head on to bcgsearch.com.